another state, and uh, I learned about the ministry of Thane, of, 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 I'm putting two names together, Wayne and Phyllis Wozniak. At the time, they were serving as missionary educators in Colombia, and uh, since then, they've transitioned to Peru, where they're uh, still over the Bible school there in Colombia. And uh, over those 11 years, I've had the privilege and the honor to be able to go to Columbia three times and, and teach at the Bible school. And we've supported now Wayne and Phyllis for seven years. And those of you who've been around know that he is an outstanding communicator. Uh, I, I love it. You know, if, if you're like me, you've been around church for a while, you've heard missionaries speak. And sometimes when they're done, one or two things happen. Either you feel guilty because you're not a missionary and, and what you think, well, what I do doesn't matter. Sometimes that can be the approach. And then sometimes we can hear a missionary speak and leave and think, now, what are they doing again? I know they're in Africa or I know they're in South America, but, but what are they doing? Well, what I love about Phyllis and Wayne and their ministry is that we get neither of those with them. We understand from their ministry that what we do to support them is just as important as what they do on the mission field. And when he's done here in a few minutes, you're going to know very clearly what their mission is, what they're doing, and the difference that they're making in Peru and in Colombia. I am so thankful to have him with us today. Will you give Wayne Wozniak a warm rink in Church of God welcome as he comes this morning? Well, Phyllis and I are missionary educators. We believe the best way to fulfill the Great Commission is training national workers. A native Peruvian, for example, can reach another Peruvian better, faster, cheaper than you or I can. So if you want to reach South America, train South Americans, and that's what we're about. Training South Americans, we do this through these Bible colleges, and you can see these are our students in Peru. Each one of these are called into full-time ministry, and our students in Colombia, another uh, wonderful group, and these are both residential programs. Our students live there, eat there, study there, and for the last six years, we've come by and we've shown you pictures of here's our students in the library, and here's our students in the classroom, and here's our students in the dorm room, and here they are in the cafeteria, and we got to thinking, we haven't really told you why? Why is this so important? So we're going to kind of mix things up this year and share with you, um, answer this question, why? Why are Bible colleges so important? All right, let me tell you my game plan this morning. I want to share with you seven quick reasons why Bible colleges are important and um, kind of give you a little update on what's happening in our ministry. And then we're going to switch gears and do a short missions message. And I'm going to try my best to get us done by uh, in, in less than 40 minutes, okay? Um, but if you want to adjust your seat and get into the long-winded position, you're welcome to do that. All right, why are Bible colleges important? First of all, to train ministers. I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's actually a shortage of ministers in the world today. Fewer and fewer people are wanting to go into ministry, and uh, we're training ministers. Actually, we have 24 graduates in the Peace Corps, and each one of them are serving in full-time ministry. Uh, another reason is to train, to teach good, sound, biblical doctrine. 
wife and I, when we were in seminary at Lee University, that's what we learned, good, sound, biblical, Pentecostal doctrine. And we still believe in the virgin birth. We still believe in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We still believe in the glorious resurrection. We still believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're teaching these things to, uh, to our students who are out in planting churches to, to teach others, okay? Another reason is to uh, just correct wrong ideas. If you've been in church for a while in the States, you've probably seen some kind of crazy things go on, and that's multiplied exponentially on the mission field. Um, for example, I love your greeters this morning, all around, shake of hands. I've been to churches in Peru and Colombia where the greeters will shake your hand, and then they'll give you a vomitat, a vomitat. And down at the altar, they'll work themselves into such a frenzy coughing that they will vomit. And the people will not go, ooh, gross. The people will go, like, ooh, praise the Lord, because they believe that as they're vomiting, evil spirits are leaving their bodies. Now, that is not in the Bible. You won't see Peter or Paul passing out vomitats, okay? There's nowhere in the scripture that teaches that demons leave us uh, when we vomit. So it's a, it's a wrong idea that needs to be corrected. I'll give you another example, and I apologize for this one because it's uh, – a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, but Clarion was in a church in Peru where they believed that when a woman is menstruating, she cannot participate in social sex because heaven hits and she turns into more than stays away from men. They actually have a list of the on the bulletin board of the church of the female names and the projected dates of their carriages so that you will know not to give them an opportunity in the end that week and, and, and leadership may say, whoa, that is not in the Bible. That's, an, that's a wrong idea. And these wrong ideas are only corrected with good, sound, biblical teaching. Okay? That's why Bible colleges are necessary. Another reason is to, is to prepare well-rounded, holistic uh, ministries. I love this picture of Oscar. Oscar was involved in the drug, drug trafficking trade. He wound up in prison, did a five-year prison term. While he was there, he got saved, got discipled, got out of prison, and came right to our Bible college. And in our Bible college, uh, and this is where the residential program is so important because they live there, they eat there, they study there, and he was rubbing elbows with the other students, and when he graduated, he, he, he was a well-rounded minister because he, shared, he shared his passion with the other students. They, they, they rub, bounced ideas off of each other. He, they even learned how to just deal with conflict living in the dorm together. And today he's a well-rounded minister. He's a model citizen. He's a loving husband, a, a godly father. To me, that's, that's so important. Incidentally, I'd like to just get sidetracked here for a moment and tell you that you guys have a well-rounded pastoral team. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of, of, of Les and Preston and the way that they love ministry and the things that they're doing with this church. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but, man, you, have, you guys have one awesome church. Great worship, great facilities, great leadership, and good preaching. So you know he's our go-to preacher. 
My wife and I, every Sunday or other, get from church in, in Peru, Colombia, preaching and teaching, but we always feed ourselves on, on the Internet. And uh, he's our go-to preacher. We love listening to him, uh, particularly the July Hot Topic uh, series. Man, it was, it, it was awesome. And I thought, well, how creative. So I want you guys to re- realize, wow, you, you're blessed with, with one wonderful pastoral couple. And I hope that you appreciate them and uh, continue to, to grow under their ministry, all right? All right, that's the end of our sidetrack. Let's get back on track. This is Rick Steigel, one of my choicest friends. Another reason why we need Bible college is to form these close ministerial relationships. Rick and I met at Lee University 44 years ago. No, 43 years ago. And we've been serving in ministry. We've been serving in ministry since we graduated. And uh, he's been my pastor through the years. There's times that I get discouraged and I need a shoulder to cry on. I need a word of encouragement. Rick is the guy I go to. And there's times in his ministry that he's needed uh, a word of advice or counsel, encouragement. I've been there for him. All right? Now, if I can tell you a little secret, when I was at Lee, Rick, I, I was a relatively new Christian, a little immature, and he was a little bit on the, in my opinion, he was a little on the nerdy side. So I kind of made fun of him uh, and uh, didn't get super close to him. Then we ended up pastoring in the same state of Virginia, and we, we built this relationship, and we've become very close friends. Now, year after year, he's in a, one of our top supporting associates. And I told him last year, I was like, man, Rick, if I would have known how much money you were going to be pouring into our ministry, I would have been so much nicer to you when we were at Lee. <laughs> All right. So another reason, our, our students, we try to encourage them. Build these strong ministerial relationships, and some of them take it to a new level, and they fall in love when they get married, like Phyllis and I did. We met in Bible college. We fell in love. Uh, I had friends that that we graduated Saturday morning. They got married Saturday afternoon. I had a little more self-control, so I waited three weeks after graduating when Phyllis and I were married, and they've been married now for 40 years, and we encourage our students. Thank you. We encourage our students meet your ministerial companion right here what better place to find your ministerial companion than here at the bible college someone that shares your passion your calling your training and we have officiated the weddings of over 100 students through the years uh so that's cool all right another reason why we need um bible colleges is to provide long-term mentoring and support i like this picture this is um Colbert graduated um, 20 years ago. Dermali graduated 18 years ago. And um, Donahill graduated also 18 years ago. This was this was just a few months ago. We, we were having dinner together, together in a restaurant, and we were encouraging one another and learning about their needs. And, and in this particular meeting, Colbert uh, I learned that he's doing a building program. Uh, he was kind of dropping hints to see if the Bible College could help him raise some funds for his uh, building program. And we came up with an idea together while we were eating. And I said, you know, uh, 
how about if you raise a third of it? You think you can raise a third of what you need in your church? And I was like, yeah, I think I can do that. And when I looked at, at Jeremiah Lee, he's the district pastor of the area. And I said, you think your district could raise a third of the money? And he says, yeah, I think we could do that. And I said, great, you guys raise two-thirds, and I'll try to get the Bible school to raise the other third. So this year, we're actually helping build a church. So this is long term, decades after they graduate, and we're still mentoring them and, and helping to Come up with ideas and raise support. We do marriage seminars. We do just a couple of these a year, gather a, gr- a, group, a group, small group of our graduates together and have a, a, a training time, a time of reflection time for them to rekindle the spark and all. And we don't even have to pay for it because they'll have visiting pastors from the states come down and do the seminar and they, and they cover all the expenses for it, okay? Building churches. This is a church that we had built last year uh, on the islands of the floating islands of Lake Titicaca. You might remember laughing about that lake back in your sixth grade geography class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Titicaca. It actually is a real lake, uh, highest navigable lake in the world uh, at, at, at about 13,000 feet above sea level. And there are these floating islands on that lake, and there's these Udu Quechua people living on these islands. Four years ago, they were classified as an unreached people group. No church, no Christian witness. One of our graduates went there and planted the first, not the first church of God, the first Christian church on these islands and started winning the Udu Quechuas. And uh, this is the church that we have built. This is the boat that we purchased for for, for them. The, the first year it was a rowboat, and they were rowing, and then we they begged us for a motor. We got them a motor. And I was able to visit there. Last year, and and meet the first fruits. Paul talks about the first fruits in Asia, the first believers in Europe. These are the first Udu Quechuas, and that's us thinking and someday around the throne, when we're worshiping, there'll be Udu Quechuas praying for us because two of our graduates went there and planted the first Christian church. How cool is that? Okay, uh, and then we provide motorcycles for our students and uh, every year we try to buy uh, several motorcycles and get them to the the students that are most needing them or the graduates that are most needing them and then another reason why we need bible colleges is to train church planters ask experts across the board and they'll tell you the best way to fulfill the great commission is to plant new testament churches which is what we are we are a new testament church we get our doctrine So we're trying to reach to plant New Testament churches in every major city and town in the world. Last year, we had five of our interns. We have a three-year program. They do two years in the classroom, and then they do a one-year ministerial internship. And five of our interns planted a church during their year of internship, okay? This is Abel in the middle here. Uh, he planted a church in a place called Monson, won somebody to the Lord who went out and, and donated property to them, and they built a church. They did a building program. Pastor Les, you know that most pastors, if they do a building program, it's after they've been in ministry for 10 or 20 years. This guy did a building program before he even graduated during his year of internship. How cool is that? Okay, this is Anna Lee, the, the one with the red blouse holding the pot. 
uh, he went to Pucalpa, which is right on the headwaters of the Amazon, kind of getting close to where the Amazon River begins. It's 4,000 miles running into the Atlantic Ocean. It's a very poverty-stricken uh, neighborhood, and he has a feeding center in his district feeding 35 children and many of their single mothers healthy meals six days a week. And the church drains every penny and he did that during her internship. Uh, and then Freddie and Judica. Freddie was a year ahead of Judica. They met, fell in love, got married right on her Bible college property. And that was right after he graduated. And then she did her year of internship under her husband. And so you're aware, in order for our students to graduate, they need a passing evaluation from their sponsoring pastor, who in this case was their husband. And so I asked him a few weeks before graduation, hey, is, are you going to pass her? Is Judica going to graduate? Or are you going to be sleeping on the couch for the next couple of months? And he's like, oh, no, she's going to graduate. They're probably our, our most gifted uh, ministerial couple in Reno. So proud of the work that they're doing. Okay, and then this picture goes back just five summers ago. Five summers ago, Wendy and Christian planted a church in Lima, another church in Lima. And the cool thing about this church is it's a 110 church plant by a graduate. 110 churches have been planted by a graduate. And all of this has happened in the last year okay those are what we could call our short-term results let me uh, let me focus for a minute or two on our long-term results in november phyllis and i went to columbia for the graduation and it was our 10th graduating class so we decided let's have a class reunion we invited all the first graduates to come back after 10 years we started off small in columbia we only had six graduates but i'm happy to tell you all six of them are serving as pastors and pastor's wives 10 years later. That means we're batting a 1,000 in, in Colombia. And in Peru, 20 years ago, uh, we had 16 graduates. And 20 years later, 12 of them are still serving in full-time ministry. That's 75%, and that's pretty much unheard of for, for around the world in different seminaries, that 75% would be in ministry 20 years later. So I want you to see that when you invest in these students, you're, you're going to see long-term results. Okay, so Phyllis and I are very, very thankful for our partnership with Rincon Church of God. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but last year we gave 16000 to our ministry, and that made you our top supporting church. You gave more money than any of our, we got about 40 different churches that sponsor us, and you were number one in giving, which uh, gives me special privileges. <laughs> I'm like, wow, uh, I naturally have to do good with you guys. We appreciate this partnership. Let me tell you about uh, some things I'd like to ask you to do for us uh, this year. First of all, receive our thanks. We're so thankful for your faithful support. Uh, second, I'd like to encourage you to be praying for us. Uh, Colombia elected a communist president. Peru elected a communist president. 
president that we have presently is actually our fifth president in three years because they keep uh, impeaching him and there's all kinds of riots and protests and things going on. And the president, these communist presidents of these countries are calling the church the enemy of the state. They're making threats to expel uh, Christian missionaries. And so we are needing your prayer probably more than any other time in our ministry. So if you would just pray for us, and I'd like you to know that Phyllis and I, every Saturday, we pray for a sponsoring church. We pray for you. We pray for Pastor Larry and Tressa and, and, and your services. We pray that the Lord would move in the services and touch people and their lives would be changed and marriages would be restored. We pray for you every Saturday. We'd like that to be the typical. We'd like to ask you guys once a week to be praying for the Rose family. Okay? My wife just recently had knee surgery, and she's got a long haul ahead of her. Uh, definitely would like to have you be covering that in prayer. Okay? By the way, she had a motorcycle accident. She was going 65 miles an hour. A car cut in front of her, and she hit him and fell. 63 years old, falling off a motorcycle at 55 miles an hour in, in Tijuana. So we're going <laughs> to be very, very thankful. Okay? Um, then the next thing I'd like to ask you to do is try to help us get as many of these students sponsored as possible. Okay? Let me, re let me remind you what this is about. It costs us approximately $3,300 a year for each student that studies in our program. That's to feed them, house them, and teach them $3,300. We charge our students just $300. So we're needing to come up with $3,000 to supplement what, what they have studied. And so my wife came up with this brilliant idea a few years ago. Why don't we try to get 10 sponsors for each student, 10 people that would commit to giving $300 for each year for each student. So if you'd like to get involved with that, um, I want to remind you and pledge your tithe to sponsor a student. We believe very strongly your tithe belongs in the local church. Don't stop supporting another missionary to pick up one of our students. We don't want that to happen. So if you'd like to sponsor one of our students over and above your tithe, over, over and above what you're already given to, to other missionaries, I'd like you to see me at the table there. I don't need your money today. All I need today is your commitment, that you'll commit to giving $300 between now and next year when we come back. Okay? You, and you don't even have to send the money to school or Columbia. Just give it to your church or mark a, a South American Bible colleges, and your church knows exactly how to get that to us. Okay? Your sponsor gets a certificate for you on the table that they take with you, and it's, it's real easy to sign up. Um, this morning, I have some people that are helping me. I believe Chris is going to help me. So uh, um, we want to try and get as many of these sponsored as possible. Okay, now if we might just kind of stretch a little bit and move the mic around, we're going to shift gears here and get into our mission message. Okay, I am a former atheist, a one-time die-hard evolutionist. So I have a strong interest in creation science. That's the study that deals with the scientific evidence that backs up biblical creation. There's a ton of it. I'm also a missionary, so obviously I've got a passion for missions. So anytime you can join these two subjects together, creation science and world missions, well, you're going to have my full attention. That's what I'm going to try and do this morning, combine the topics of creation science and world missions and hopefully keep your full attention. Now, this is a sermon series, 
uh, so I need you to pay attention because I only come here every other week. So I need you to remember this message so that when I come back in 2025, we can continue on with our series on missions and marvels, okay? Now, when we talk about marvels um, in creation, one of, the, one of the greatest marvels are oddballs, okay? Oddballs. And what we're going to do this morning is look at oddballs in creation, oddballs in the Bible, and oddballs on the mission field. Okay, the biggest oddball of them all, I think, is the platypus. It's got a bill like a duck, a tail like a beaver, hair like a bear, produces eggs like a chicken, milk like a cow, has furs like a rooster, venom like a snake, and even uses sonar like a dolphin. So what did it evolve from? Everything? And evolutionists can't begin to tell us what was the, where did this egg-laying mammal come from? What was the non-platypus ancestor that it evolved from? They, they, they don't know. It's one of creation's oddballs. Another oddball is the seahorse. As you know, most fish have scales on them, not the seahorse. It has this elasticy skin that stretches over its skeletal system. Most fish swim horizontally, not the seahorse. It swims vertically. Most fish have this powerful tail that propels them through the water, not the, not the seahorse. It's got a prehensile tail that it uses to attach itself to seaweed and coral. And it, it propels itself with this little small uh, dorsal fin, making it the slowest swimming fish in the world. And then the crazy horse-like head that it has, all of those things make the seahorse an oddball. But its biggest oddity is this. It's the only animal on the planet where the male gives birth. Wow. How does it do that? Well, the male has a specialized pouch, and the female comes along and lays her eggs inside of that pouch. There they're fertilized by the male, and they grow, and, 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 and when they hatch, the, the, the male has a specialized gland inside of the pouch that produces this milk-like substance that they call prolactin, and the baby seahorses feed on it until they're ready to be born. And I'd like to encourage you to go on YouTube and watch videos of a male seahorse convulsing and uh, popping out hundreds of baby seahorses. And we've got to ask ourselves, how would this evolve in a step-by-step -step process? Where did the pouch come from? Where did the specialized gland that produces prolactin come from? Who talked the male, sir, the male seahorse into doing this? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer for that. It boggles the mind, okay? A true oddball in creation, probably my favorite, is the woodpecker who earns his daily bread by pounding his head against a tree, and he does that 20 times a second. <laughs> it sounds like a machine gun. In order to do this, he's got the the strongest beak of all birds. He, proportionately, the thickest skull of all vertebrates. There's a specialized tissue that between the beak and the skull that is shock-absorbing tissue. Most birds have 
uh, three Telkins in the front, one in the back. The woodpecker has two in the front and two in the back, so he can hold on to a tree upright, sideways, even upside down as he's pecking away. Um, and another marvel uh, about the woodpecker that makes it a, an oddball is its tongue. Most birds, the, the tongue just reaches to the tip of the beak. The woodpecker's tongue extends five inches beyond the beak. But he doesn't have to keep all of that tongue in his mouth. What the fuck? I can't hear you. He's got this fishing reel apparatus, and the tongue actually wraps around the skull. And scientists have done studies on this and learned that the, 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 the tongue wrapped around the skull actually helps protect the brain upon impact. And then after he drills the hole, he shoots the tongue out, and the tip of the tongue has these barbs on it so he can spear insects, uh, rake up the, the grubs that he eats, and then... If that were not enough, there's a gland on the tip of the tongue that produces a glue so that the larva that they eat sticks to the tongue and he brings it into the mouth. And then believe it or not, there's another gland in the mouth that produces a solvent that dissolves the glue. And we've got to ask our, our evolutionary friends, where did all of this equipment come from? It sounds to me like you need a fairy godmother with a magic wand. Oh, you need some glue. Okay, boom, there you have it. Uh-oh, now we're going to need a solvent to dissolve the glue. No problem. They always tell us that's a marvel of evolution, but they never tell us how it evolved. They never tell us what, what was the non-woodpecker woodpecker ancestor that these guys evolved from. And they don't tell us how did the woodpecker survive while he was waiting for all of this complex equipment to, to, to develop. If these oddballs in, in, in creation tell us anything, they tell us this. There is a creator God. Amen. That's oddballs in creation. Let's look for a moment at oddballs in the Bible. Every major character in the Bible was an oddball. Jacob, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, he used a rock for a pillow. I would call that a little bit odd. Isaiah walked around the streets of Jerusalem in his loincloth, old biblical underwear. He was depicting the coming attack of the Assyrians upon Egypt. And uh, he wanted to illustrate it. Um, I call that a little bit odd. Jeremiah hid his underwear in the cleft of a rock. Again, the Bible doesn't call it underwear. It calls it a loincloth, but that was biblical underwear. In the Hebrew hymnal, there was probably a song about this. He hideth his underwear in the cleft of a rock. That's odd. That he would hide his underwear. He did that to depict Jerusalem's need to humble themselves and turn to the Lord. And then Ezekiel, I think he wins the prize. He slept on his side for over a year, cooking his food over animal dung, depicting the coming siege of the Babylonians against Jerusalem. And then he knocked a hole in his wall and carried all of his belongings out on the street. Husbands, I recommend you don't try that at home. You might get in trouble. 
Jeremiah did it to depict the coming um, attack of the Babylonians carrying off, plundering the city of Jerusalem. These are all oddballs. The biggest oddball of them all, I think, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I heard a sermon at Christmas time, and it was called God in the Bible. Wow, that got me thinking. God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, would be wrapped in sackcloth, a biblical Okay, it, it, it's so profound that the Bible actually calls it a mystery. You see this here in 1 Timothy 3.16, and I'd like this verse because it's easy to remember because we all know John 3.16. Well, this is 1 Timothy 3.16. What does it say? Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. What's the great mystery of our faith? That God was revealed in a human body. God became Think about it. It's a mystery, which means it's profound. It's hard to grasp, hard to understand that the omnipotent one, omnipotent one, the all-powerful, would become a, a weak, frail human being. That the all-knowing one would learn. Whoa. How do you learn when you're omniscient, when you know everything? It's impossible to learn, yet the Bible says Jesus learned obedience. The Bible says he increased in wisdom. How did he do that? Well, that's a mystery. How, how does the omnipresent one who can say, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world, and yet Mary and Martha can come to him and say, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's odd. Those are oddballs in the Bible. Uh, let's switch gears and look at oddballs on the mission field. And trust me, there's plenty of them, okay? The first one we're going to look at is Edwin. Edwin's the guy here in the pink tie. Right there, you can see that's a little bit odd, a pink tie. Oh, my. Edwin was president of one of the most notorious gangs in Lima. Now, to become president of a gang, you've got to be a tough fighter. You've got to be afraid of nothing, and Edwin was afraid of until the day that his friend Christian, his friend Alex, became a Christian and invited him to church. Then they were afraid of nothing and were too scared to go to church by themselves. So what did he do? He ordered a gang to yell, yell at some of the churches near Santa Fe. I call that odd. During the service, he felt the, the Holy Spirit convicting him to come down to the altar, but he was too afraid to go down by himself, so he ordered his gang members. You all come, come down to the altar with me. All 14 of them marched down to the altar, gave their hearts to the Lord. He got discipled, got called into ministry, came to our Bible class, got married to Anna. They've been serving in ministry now for 19 years. And ironically, today they're pastoring the very church he got saved in, in Hermitaño, Lima. applaud because it gets even better. I was there a couple of months ago and he introduced me to his pastor's council and some of them are former gang members. <laughs> How cool is that? Okay. Uh, this is Luisa. 
are two oddballs. When I do the sponsorship certificate that you're going to see, there's, there's a testimony of the student on there kind of tells their story, and I always enjoy interviewing the students and learning their story. And I remember about 14 years ago when I interviewed Louisca. I said, so Louisca, tell me, when was it that you felt the Lord calling you into ministry? When was it that you committed your heart to the Lord? And I said, well, I was raised in a Christian home. But unfortunately, I started doing drugs at a young age. But then the Lord delivered me. I was like, okay, was that when you committed your heart to the Lord? No, no, I, I had a relapse and started doing drugs again. But then the Lord delivered me again. And is that when you committed your heart? No, I went into the army. And in the army, I started drinking with my buddies. Next thing you know, I was doing drugs again. But then I got out of the army, oh, and, and I stopped. All right, good. Is that when you committed your heart to the Lord and stopped doing, no, no, I had another relapse. And so, so I finally thought, well, let me get to the end of the story. Luisco, when was it that you stopped using drugs once and for all and committed your heart to the Lord and decided you wanted to go into ministry? And he said, on the bus, on the way here to Bible college, <laughs> on the bus, on the way to Bible college, he gets delivered from drugs and decides I'm not going to use them anymore. The Bible college had just got started in Colombia. We were needing students. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been taking them. But my wife and I, we prayed about it. We thought, man, we need students. And there's probably no better environment for him to get deliverance from than right here among all the other students called into ministry. So we kept him on observation. Three years later, he graduated valedictorian. Him and his wife, Kelly, who he met while he was at the Bible college, they, they've been serving in ministry now for nine years. And pastoring a church, they, they, they went out and continued their education, so now he's teaching at both of our Bible colleges. When I get back to Peru end of this month, he'll be flying back from Colombia to teach at Reason Bible, or to Reseda Bible College in Peru. And if that were not enough, that he's teaching at both Bible colleges, he volunteers for Wycliffe Bible he went to a city council village to help translate the book of Judges into the city council language. Now think about that for a moment. Fourteen years ago, somebody sponsored Christian in the United States, sponsored Luisca to take care of his family. Think of the reward that they're building up for him that he's been pastoring for nine years teaching at both Bible colleges, and helping translate the Bible into indigenous language. How fruitful is that? And then perhaps my favorite, Felipe. Felipe was a pastor's son. He came to us just as shy and timid as you could possibly imagine. The most backward kid I think I ever met. I teach homiletics at the Bible school, how to preach, and, and, and the students preach in the class, and Felipe gets up there, and he's like, I want you to open your Bible to the book of James, chapter 4. We're going to look at the story of the Samaritan. And I'm like, dude, can you pick it up a notch? Can you try to be a little more, you know, dynamic? Two years he studied in the classroom, and he was just so backward, slow. It was almost embarrassing. I'm like, where am I going to send this guy to do his internship? 
Well, as it turns out, his, the pastor of his home church got transferred somewhere else, and so the overseer came up with the idea, let's appoint Felipe to do his internship as the pastor of that church. So they installed him as pastor. I went there a couple of months later to visit him, and I was just thrilled. First of all, the whole church grew. All these shy, backward, uh, brave people. He fit there like the ring to the finger. And uh, they loved him to death. He was making a tremendous impact there. And I learned a very important lesson. God consistently answers prayer. If we will open our hearts to him, he has a place and he has a place for Felipe. And then after I left there, uh, he met this young lady, Karin. She was a senior in high school, and she was walking to school, and he says that it was love at first sight. It took him four months to conjure up the courage to walk out to the curb and tell her, hello. Next thing you know, he was going out there every day to tell her hello, and then he was walking her to school. They ended up falling in love. He sent her to the Bible college. So if you're going to be a pastor's wife, you've got to go to the Bible college. He paid her expenses for her two years of study, and then he married her, and she did her, her internship under him and also needed his approval to graduate. Today they've got a lovely family, and I'm so proud of them. And we learn from Felipe that God can use an ordinary person. Amen? Now, my wife and I, we, if you got to know us, you would realize, well, we're a little bit on the odd side. I graduated from high school unable to read my diploma. I did my first two years of college on a sports scholarship, and, and I didn't even buy the books. I'm like, why buy them? I can't read them. That's a little bit odd. Today we're actually writing books. <laughs> My wife, she was a Church of God pastor's daughter, a backslidden Church of God pastor's daughter. Moved away from home on her 18th birthday, fed up with the church and all the rules and regulations. She said, I'm going to have fun. And she got involved in, uh, in drugs and partying and was living a very immoral lifestyle. And at 20 years old, she got bored, and she decided, I'm going to take a college class to help me with my boredom. Now, you're a normal person that was bored and decided to take a college class. They would take ceramics or judo or art or yoga, not my wife. She took counting one. Who takes a counting one when they're bored? At the end of the semester, she was still bored, so she took a counting two. Fast forward a few years, she recommits her heart to the Lord, gets called in the missionary, gets called to become, to, to become uh, gets called in the ministry, decides to become a missionary. Today, she's the accountant for both of our Bible colleges, and she keeps impeccable records. And Pastor Leslie's actually a Pharisee when it comes to receipts. If you don't have a receipt, it comes out of your pocket. So I'd like for us to remember these oddballs that we see in creation that tell us very clearly there's a creator God. Let's remember the oddballs in the Bible, particularly our Lord Jesus Christ, who became a man for us. So 
came in for Aunt Barbara and came back for me. Let's remember to ask Paul's on the mission field. And let's keep in mind that all of us have armies of saints that would qualify us to be people of God. Come on. And sometimes we think, ooh, I can't get involved in that work because I'm an oddity. My oddities somehow disqualify me from that work. Well, actually, it might be that our oddities are the very thing that qualify us to reach the, 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 the people that we alone can reach, to do the unique ministry that the Lord has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Now, Lord, we thank you so much for these oddballs in creation that tell us that there is a creator. We thank you about all the oddballs in the Bible that remind us that, wow, you can use oddballs. We thank you for these oddballs that we see on the mission field, and we recognize, Lord, our own oddities. And we pray that we just want to place ourselves upon your altar with all of our oddities and ask you to use us and help us not to feel disqualified because of our oddness, but help us to recognize that it might be that these oddities are the very thing that qualify us for the unique ministry that you've called us to do. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now you know why I love this guy so much. Who else can take their passion for apologetics and uh, creationism and turn that and connect it with a missions uh, program like we've seen today, man? Excellent job, Wayne. Thank you so much for coming. Now, let me mention a couple of things before we let you go today. I want to say thank you to you guys for your faithfulness in tithing. He mentioned that a while ago. And because you are so faithful to tithe as a church, first of all, we are now going into our 20, 21, 22, 23, our fourth year, we're on record, to break our tithe record from the previous year. That's, amen, that's worth celebrating. Here's the reason why that's a big deal, that you give and you tithe. Because when you do that, you don't just keep the lights on and keep the staff salary paid and paper towels in the bathroom and stuff like that. What you do when you continue tithe is you give us the opportunity as the leaders of our church and particularly our church and pastors council that when needs come up, we're able to say we have above and beyond in what God has blessed us with and then we're able to help other opportunities. Uh, the first of the summer, Wayne sent me an email one day and he said, do you think you guys could give $1,000 toward a project for a widow in Peru or Colombia? In Peru. And uh, we're partnering with other churches to try to provide this need for this widow. Her husband was a pastor. He passed away. Absolutely. We sent that uh, to him. Uh, I asked him early in the week, I said, I know there's always a project that, that needs to be done. And, and what, what can we help you with this week? And he said, well, there's a project that we have, and there's a, um, a, a pastor, a, a female pastor in Peru, in Peru, who, uh, who we're trying to build. She's been pastoring for how long?
31 years, a female pastor in Peru, and they're trying to build a second story onto her church to provide apartments for her and facilities for uh, children. And he said, uh, we need $4,000 for this project. Would you guys do half of that? And so we had a council meeting this meet, this week on uh, Tuesday night, and I asked the seven men who serve on that council, I said, what do you guys want to do? And without hesitation, they said, let's give all of it. We've got it. Let's give all $4,000 to this project. <laughs> now, we're able to do that only because you tithe and give. And you hear me say, we, we don't talk about giving a lot around here. And those of you who are new, you're going to see that. And those of you who have been here, you know that. But here's what I will say to you so many times. I 100% believe Rinkin Church of God is good soil. Because when you give here, not only are you helping us to keep the lights on and pay the salaries and those things, but you also give us the margins in what we have that we can help. And we've been doing things like that all year. We gave $10,000 to a project, a need that was in a church plant in Colorado in March. We gave $10,000 to Urban Harvest Ministries in January of this year. This is just what we do because of what you do. And I just want to say thank you so much. And I also want to say thank you for supporting Wayne and Phyllis. Last year, Phyllis was here. You guys supported over 40 students for the Bible school, the most ever. And I know that many of you today, you want to support as well. It's $25 a month. There is no family in this church that can't do that. You go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow morning, you take you and, and your spouse or a date, and you'll easily spend $25 almost or pretty close to it on, on a meal, okay? That's what, like two coffees at Starbucks, you know? But what a difference $25 a month makes, and I, I'm not going to re-preach the message, you saw it. I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be a part to know that next time when Phyllis comes back a year from now and she's sharing more stories, I can say, I gave $300 this year, and it made a difference. And it's also, you, you hit it on it very quickly, but the scripture is very clear that there are rewards that we will receive when we get to heaven because of our generosity. I think we all want to get to heaven, especially people who come to church at 9 o'clock, right? We all want to get to heaven, but I don't want to just scrape in. I want to know that when I get there, there are people who are going to come up behind me and slap me on the back and say, you have no idea who I am, but I'm here because of something you did. And I believe we're going to spend a lot of time in heaven meeting and greeting and connecting with not just our loved ones who have gone before us, but people that we made an impact with like this. So here's what's going to happen. Wayne, if you want to go ahead and head out, you can meet Wayne and some other people who are going to be at that table. There's going to be a ton of people. I'm going to prepare you. It's going to be packed. Be patient. It's going to be worth the wait. He's got a couple of QR codes out there. He's made it easier than ever where you can hit a QR code, bring it up on your phone. You can fill out all the information, and, uh, and then you can get a, a sheet that has the, the picture of the person, the child that you're sponsoring. And like he said, it's very simple. Every month, all you have to do at the kiosk or if you give uh, through a tithing envelope or if you give through the uh, app, all you have to do is select in the drop-down menu Peru and Columbia student. It's, it's super simple.
And uh, and so thank you for those of you for the last seven years who've been supporting. If you uh, made a, a commitment to support the past year, well, that commitment ends today. Pick up another student or students today and begin to support for another year. Uh, I am I'm so thankful for what they're doing. I'm thankful to you guys. So let's stand and let's close with a word of prayer today. And uh, thank you for being here in the house of the Lord today. And we'll look forward to seeing you back here Wednesday night.